Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, August 30th, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 54, beginning with the second full paragraph, Imagine Life Without Faith. Um, today's readers are Dana B. on the 12 Steps, Liz S. on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Kimmy D., Penny C., and Michelle H. The reference number for yesterday, April 29th, is 6246. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery um, through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition stage, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Dana B. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Dana B. from Colorado. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. One, We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Dana B. And Liz S. Would you read the 12 traditions, please? One, our common welfare, 
should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, the loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our, from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I pass. Thank you, Liz S. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topics. This meeting does request that your sharing be strictly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, and then press star 1 to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So please, everyone, please make sure that you are muted when you're not sharing. Today we will begin our study on page 4 of the big book. The second full paragraph, which begins, Imagine Life Without Faith. And we'll ask Kimmy D to get us started. Thank you, Kathy. Hi, my name is Kimmy, recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Imagine life without faith. Were nothing left but pure reason, it wouldn't be life. But we believed in life. Of course we did. We could not prove life in the sense that it could prove a straight line as the shortest distance between two points, yet there it was. Could we still say the whole thing was nothing but a mass of electrons created out of nothing, meaning nothing, whirling 
on to a destiny of nothingness? Of course we couldn't. The electrons themselves seemed more intelligent than that, at least so the chemist said. Hence, we saw that reason isn't everything. Neither is reason, as most of us use it, entirely dependable, though it emanate from our best minds. What about people who proved that man could never fly? And in uh, the second little paragraph, the seeing that reason isn't everything is really something that uh, resonated with me because reasoning is what got me recovery. It was the antithesis of it. I was someone that I'm very a very logical person, and reason is something that you know I depend upon uh, for a lot. And even, you know, in my disease, reason would stand that if I tried that next diet or I, um, you know, exercised five days a week or, you know, did that next popular thing, reason would stand that it would work. Well, I hung my hat on that for years and years and it got me to 260 pounds, at which point I said, well, I guess reason isn't everything. And, you know, that's where the surrender was able to come in. That's where I was able to say there's got to be something else. I don't know what it is. I can't see it. All I can see is what I'm doing in front of me, which isn't working. And therefore, I need to reach out. And in my early days, reason isn't everything was the meetings. I came to the meetings and sat there and listened and followed what my sponsor told me to do. And even though it didn't sound reasonable, and in my mind I'm thinking this isn't going to work, I put that aside and just kept doing the next right thing. And lo and behold, it worked. Little by little, my reasoning started being replaced by a reasoning that I couldn't explain. And that reasoning that I couldn't explain was my life with faith. And um, babies are starting to get fussy, so with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kimmy. Who would like to share on this last paragraph? Lana. Janice. This is Bella. Can I share? Okay, I heard John S., Janice, and Bella. Was there someone else? Okay, Karen. Uh, Lauren, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Lauren S. from Pittsburgh, a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, here I'm um, trying to, you know, reading this for step two, imagine life without faith. I, uh, oh my gosh, um, being, you know, Having had that spiritual awakening and having had that obsession removed, um, and every day I, um, I'm the kind that identify with these paragraphs because I need faith and a spiritual solution because I lost every bit of control, choice, power. I lost it all. Um, there are people, though, who didn't lose the same amount that I did, and they don't need the same kind of program. But for me, I, I can't imagine life without faith, without the steps, without sponsorship, without sponsoring. Um, 
that's that's my program. And uh, here, oh my gosh, I identify with the argument they're making about how I actually used to have faith in science and in reason and in believing something without experiencing it, even though I came in agnostic and perhaps atheist. I was taught that, hey, I did have faith in something. I've had faith in love. I mean, it is my instinct to want to live. It's human instinct to want to survive, to want to live. But I would give my life for my parents. And that is, that's, that's little examples like that, having faith in science, having faith in flight, having faith in the internet, in microchips, in love, all these, all these examples of faith was one reason why I thought, why not put my faith and trust into something else that I can't see, but it's proven to work into a higher power. And um, and finally, uh, I used to think, like, where is where is God? Is he in the clouds? Is he down below when I pray to him? I came to realize God for me is everywhere, and he is inside of myself. Like, I... I guess I'm jumping ahead because I, I guess that's a couple paragraphs from now. Um, thank you very much. I will pass. Thank you, Lauren S. And Janice M., go ahead, please. Yes, good morning. Can you hear me, Kathy? I can. Well, good morning to you and good morning to everyone. My name is Janice M., and I'm from Massachusetts and a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Yes, we did. You know, logic and reason is really God-given. You know, it's it, it's a God-given aspect of our life. But, but it didn't help me, you know, to remove the obsession of my mind with compulsive overeating. I couldn't reason my way to health. I just couldn't, you know. I misused the reasoning in logic. I misused it in a lot of ways. And I found that it was not dependable when it came to fixing a, a diseased mind. It just wouldn't. It just didn't. Um, it couldn't be my God. It just couldn't be because it didn't work. And I know, like it was said, you know, I, I know that I had faith. I had faith in, in some things and a lot of things. Childbirth, I couldn't prove it. You know, I really don't understand it fully. Um, but but I know it's 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 something. It's miracle. I didn't I didn't create that that particular child, in in the stars at night. So it wasn't dependable. I didn't I, I couldn't I don't understand it. So I had to reason through my experience that you know um, that it cannot come from my reasoning, from my mind, the one that made it. Um, and that's how, and that's how I um, I came to the point that this is not working, Janice. Your 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 reasoning <clears throat> and your logic cannot um, clear and fix and remove my obsession of the mind. 
And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. And Bella, go ahead, please. Press star one, Bella, to unmute. Thank you, Katie. Good morning. Can you hear me now? I can, yes. Good. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. We saw that reason isn't everything. Yes, I definitely see it. Uh, before program, I wanted the reason. I was looking for a reason. And now I know that reason for me to look for a reason is a triggering word. Because what means reason for me? For me, reason is to look for control, to look for power, to, to build up my ego. Yes, I want to know reason of things. And I want to, to, to let you know if things are going according to my will, to my knowledge. And if not, <clears throat> in a certain way, I was telling God, you know what, tell me the reason why things are happening this way. Maybe you don't know everything. Maybe I know better. Maybe I can let you know how to do things differently. This is the reason. I was looking for the power. I wanted to build my ego. Yes, I am somebody. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that now I am in the program, and I am not looking for a reason. I know that I am here a messenger of God, and I know that God has the power. I am powerless. Yes, I am smart. Yes, I know things, but still I am human, and I am limited, and I don't know everything, and I don't have to know. I am here to do God's will and not mine. I am here a messenger only. Why things are happening this way? Not everything I have to understand, and not everything is good for me to understand. I just have to be connected to God because my connection to God is the pure love, the pure respect, the, the pure life. And thank you for letting me share, and I am pissed. Thank you, Bella. Who else would like to share on these two, the second paragraph we read? Okay, um, we'll move on then. Oh, yes. Who's that? This is Larry. Oh, okay, Larry. I didn't hear you. Go ahead, Larry. Let me just check. Was there someone else? There was Paula. Paula. Okay, Larry and then Paula. Hi. Good morning, Kathy. Thanks for your service. Larry, recovered uh, compulsive overeater from Chicago. Um, You know, for me, one, this this program is is not about science. You know, and and that was something that I had to to accept, um, get to that place. You know, for me, this process of recovery is really an ongoing process of redemption. And and redemption is really, you know, just this action of being saved. You know, I was in the quicksand, and I needed my ass needed saving. <laughs> Let me tell you. 
and, and there was no way that I could have initiated my own redemption. Um, I tried to do that. It didn't work. So my reason failed me. I, I needed a power greater than myself. And so you see that, that God accomplished this work of redemption through grace. And grace is just, uh, um, you know, mercy. Um, it just it just happened through God's mercy. And I, and, um, I didn't receive this mercy through, you know, or I did, I, rather I, I received this mercy through faith, which is, you know, my continuous response to, to, uh, to God's grace. And my reason utterly failed me. You know, I, I would never embark on these steps and see this process through. No way. If I were to rely solely on reason. And, and why was that so for me? Because this, this is, it's too hard. Stuffing my face is easy. That, that's easy. And it, it seemed to be fun for a long time until it wasn't anymore, until it was killing me. You know, here's what reason and rationalization, you know, could have told me. I mean, AA, you know, they say AA has a, a like about a 5 to 10% success rate right now, something like that. And some otherwise intelligent people might reason, they might suggest that the only reason, I, I've read this, that only there's only a 5 to 10% success rate people in AA is due to the camaraderie and fellowship that, you know, recovery has nothing at all to do with the 12 steps themselves. The problem is, is what they, those well-intentioned uh, people don't know is my personal experience. You know, they haven't had an experience. They're expounding on it. And frankly, not only my experience, but the experience of many, many others is that we have been saved, and this does defy, um, it does defy science. In the story, I, I had someone that call, called me yesterday and they had a fear. You know, we, we have fear. They're, they're on step, um, step nine, and they had to make a real challenging amend. And, and their fear, like my fear, so often is they knew exactly how it was going to go. And <laughs> they were fearful of how it was going to go or it wasn't going to go well. And it was based on reason, you know. And I could relate and identify with that person so much because I also had to make tough amends too, you know. And, and I had a crystal ball. See, I always knew what was going to happen. You know, that was my reason told me that because perhaps I had been down that path before and it always ended up a certain way. And I said, you know, call me back. Let me know how that goes. And that person called me back and you know what? It went really well. It went exactly the opposite of the way she thought it was going to go. God has this way that defies science. You know, God has a way of, of accomplishing things in our life, lives that, that reason would not have, you know, would not have, um, would not have realized what happened. And, and um, so I thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. And Paula, please go ahead. Hi, this would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Reader. Can you hear go me? Ahead. Yes, go ahead. Oh, good, thank you. Just double-checking here. You know, I want to go scoot right on to that last sentence, which is a question a question that makes you pause and stop. I want to take a step back to go a giant step forward, and this is the question, what about people who proved that man could never fly? He didn't say could fly. So if we look back at 51, here, what it, here's what it says. Was it not true 
that the best mathematical minds had proved men could never fly? Had not people said God had reserved this privilege to the birds? Only 30 years later, the conquest of the air was almost an old story. An airplane travel was in full swing. A sky that once only held flag, only held birds and things that flew. Then when you looked up and there was the full swing, now it was full of planes that they said, and this is it. What about people who proved that man could never fly? That's the question. The answer is they relied on reason. So here we take another step forward. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Okay, I'm going to ask Penny C. to read the next paragraph, please. Good morning. Thank you, Kathy. This is Penny C., a recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. Yet we had been seeing another kind of flight, a spiritual liberation from this world, people who rose above their problems. They said God made these things possible, and we only smiled. We had seen spiritual release, but we liked to tell ourselves it wasn't true. I have to remember here that this is we agnostics. That's the we here. That's the people that that the we is referring to, not the whole 100 um, recovered compulsive um, recovered alcoholics who first contributed to this book. So the agnostics among them is what we're talking about. And the fact that I realize that agnostic, yes, it means without knowledge, but agnostics as a group are people who either don't believe that there's a God or don't believe there's any way to prove the existence of a God. They just deny that there's any any way to do that. And so when we come to this part that says we like to tell ourselves it wasn't true, I guess this is what they mean when they say we've, we've resigned from the debating society because a true agnostic and someone who holds on to that belief is out to try to prove not that there isn't a God, but that there is no way that we can prove that. And we've, we've seen in preceding pages in this chapter that there are all sorts of ways that we can't deny the existence of God if we're really, really willing to believe. There is no way we can't, we can't believe that there's at least a way to, to show the existence of God. And for me... My life is an example of that. My my life is um, is is a, a beautiful, beautiful history of coming to believe and seeing that there had to be there had to be a God guiding my my existence, or I would never, never have come to the place I am now. And and it's it's just a, a marvelous marvelous thought, and I hold on to that and believe it, believe it with all my being, which I think is is necessary. First, to be willing to believe, and then to come to believe that there is a God, and that God 
is worthy of my trust and my dependence and my love. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny C. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Kim? Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, all. My name is Kim C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater for specialty. I'm hearing a lot of stuff in the background. It's not me. Do you hear Kathy or? Do. Um, could I ask everybody to please make sure you're muted? Press star one if you. Okay, Kim, try again. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm just going to concentrate on two words spiritual liberation. I mean, that's a huge statement. You know, what I thought for many years is that OA was a temporary respite. It's a temporary respite where we get pockets of abstinence, pockets of relief. You know, a successful year in Overeaters Anonymous for me was, was I abstinent this year more than I was an abstinent? And that's not what these 12 steps promise us. That's not what this big book promises. The big book promises us freedom, absolute freedom, spiritual liberation. That's what I experienced today. I spent many years in OA thinking if I could go to enough meetings, if I could get that perfect food plan, maybe if I bought the right kind of Tupperware to put my food in, then maybe I could go to bed exhausted having beat the beast one more day. And what my experience is, having walked through these steps, is a freedom I never knew that was possible. You know, those promises, on, those 10 step promises, which I wish were read more in the room, that's my experience. So through that is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe, and protected. We have not sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. That is my experience as someone who's walked through these steps. The miracle is my, my life is no longer based on my circumstances. Because everything doesn't go my way. Life still happens. But my life now is based on my relationship with a higher power, and therefore I can remain undisturbed regardless of my life circumstances. And I had a wonderful, wonderful example of that in, in the last few weeks. I, five years ago, volunteered at a dog rescue when I was in the midst of my controlled abstinence, when everything was painful and I was trudging and it was difficult, and I was scared that the dogs wouldn't like me, scared that the people wouldn't like me. I had put on a lot of weight, so physically a lot of stuff they were asking for was difficult. And I did the same thing three, three or four weeks ago. It was wonderful. It was light. It was joyous. People liked me, not because I was trying to make them like me, because every morning as I walked in the barn to help with these dogs, I just asked, how can I be useful today? Tell me how I can make your life easier today. And I just wanted to be of service. I sat with these dogs and tried to be useful to them versus being worried, are they going to like me? I was able to join with these other people who work there full-time and the other volunteers, and I learned so much. Now, the circumstances were no different five years ago. I went to the same rescue. There were some of the same workers there, but my experience was totally different because I wasn't living in spiritual liberation. I was living a life of control and fear. That is what we are offered today in Overeaters Anonymous. That's what these 12 steps offer us. They offer us freedom, 
freedom, not a temporary respite. So those two words, spiritual liberation, if you want them, it is possible by going through this book, doing the actions and the prayers and what the specific directions are. Because today, my life isn't a miracle because of what's happening in my life. My life is a miracle because I have a God in my life that allows me to walk through this life in gratitude, in love, and of service. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Sharon in Colorado. Please go ahead, Sharon. Oh, thank you, Kathy, and welcome to everyone out on the line. Um, Yeah, this paragraph just hit me, too. Yet we had been seeing another kind of flight, a spiritual liberation from this world, people who rose above their problems, and they said that God had made these things possible, and we only smiled. Uh, We had seen spiritual release but liked to tell ourselves it wasn't true. And that was me when it came to this... uh, situation with my food problem. I had seen this liberation in amazing ways in another program, and um, I just couldn't get over how wrong I had been and how distorted my thinking had been. And so I, too, had to go through an extreme unlearning process and then a learning process. And yet, when it came to this uh, food problem, I just, you know... I just didn't get it, and I didn't get it, I think, because I didn't want to get it. I didn't want to let go of the food. I couldn't imagine my life without that food to take the edge off of, um, you know, not unable to deal with this world as it is, and and I, too, just lived um, in the circumstances of life. I didn't know how to rise above those because I couldn't in my own strength. And so listening to this meeting, um, I'm just always going to say the same thing. Uh, you know, two years ago, July 2012, they were talking about the doctor's opinion, and that flashlight went off in my mind, showing me the seemingly hopeless state of mind and body that I was in again with regards to the food, and that wasn't going to change. And that was the beginning of uh, me being able to set aside everything I thought I knew, which was, uh, well, I've done this and I've done that and I've done everything and nothing worked. And I had to set all that aside and go through this process and to begin again to see that this spiritual freedom that I could live in was available to me and that I would be able to stay stopped and be able to deal with the... Uh, circumstances of life, my own, my children's, my grandchildren's, all of those circumstances that are a part of my life today, and be able to stay stopped. And that is the most incredible gift um, that I have received uh, at this kind of late stage of my life, but I am so grateful for it. And I'm so grateful to all of you and the service that you provide out on the line to make this possible for all of us that call in and hear this message of hope every day. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you, Sharon. Who else Hi. would like to hear? Here. Here. Okay, is that Holly I heard? Sally. Oh, Sally. I'm sorry, Sally. I think there was someone else, too. Is there someone else trying to get in? Yes, my name is Carrie. 
Terry. Okay, we'll hear Sally and then Terry. Go ahead, Sally. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you for your service this morning. This is Sally, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in South Jersey. Um, so I would like to share to this sentence here, and we only smiled. So they're telling us here in this paragraph, yet we have been seeing another kind of flight, a spiritual liberation from this world, people who rose above their problems. They said God made these things possible, and we only smiled. And we only smiled. What, what, I, what I picture in my mind is the skepticism in their, in their eyes. I can see in their eyes this twinkling of... <laughs> Right, the skepticism. They said God made these things possible, and we only smiled. There's that skeptic. We had seen spiritual release. So they're telling us spiritual liberation. We had seen spiritual release, but liked to tell ourselves it wasn't true. And this paragraph, what it says to me, it describes me to a T. Take me to a program that's concrete, that's got a point system, that tells me what to do, black and white. I'll do it. I'll do whatever they tell me to do. If they tell me to lick the line in the middle of a five-lane, six-lane highway, I will do it. That was my thinking at 250 pounds. And I had a roller coaster ride for so many years, up, down to 138, up, and back down to 138. Up a third time, back down to 138. And all along, even in this program for over 30 years, give me a concrete solution. My whole focus wanted to be on getting abstinent. Getting abstinent. But here, we're being told in this book, their focus is not getting abstinent or getting sober. Their focus is becoming recovered. And that's what this paragraph speaks to me to begin with. It tells me that these guys, you know, they just wanted to stop drinking. Now you're telling these guys that they need a spiritual solution? Um, can't we just put the drink down? I mean, they probably, like me, were just content to be dry drunks. I just wanted a coin, for God's sake. Just give me the five-year coin. Give me the one-year coin. Give me any coin. Let me just put the stuff down. But then you tell me, no, Sally, that's not enough because you'll pick up again because you need a lifestyle change. You need a new design for living, a new manner of living, a new way of living. Every chapter in this book says it another way. But they're telling me it's not just enough to put the food down. You need to have to be brain flushed to some extent, to start thinking differently. And so when I read this paragraph, they said, I always wonder, who is they? They said, God made these things possible, and we only smiled. There's that skeptic, and it's in me too. It was in me too. We had seen spiritual release. I saw it in you. I saw it in so many other people. But I like to tell myself, it wasn't true because I didn't believe it could happen for me. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, test. Sally. Terry, it's your turn. Please go ahead. 
Thank you. Hi, good morning. This is Carrie from Maryland. And this is actually my first time sharing on here, but I've been on here a lot listening. And this paragraph here really touched me a lot, especially with faith. And the thought that ran through my mind this morning is I did put a lot of faith into the food. Um, and it worked. It worked for a long time. Um, my faith was that food was going to soothe me, eat, bring ease to me, um, bring comfort. Um, I won't have any more problems. And all those years of eating that way, it really did feel like a fix. It felt like that was my solution. Food was the answer to life. I mean, it didn't yell at me. It didn't pick at me. It didn't put me down. It didn't judge me. It wasn't critical. Um, food was such a huge source of comfort. Um, it became baffling when it started to work against me when I would start getting sick. Um, I was gaining weight. I would feel bloated. My clothes wasn't fitting me. Other people were seeing how I ate and making comments um, and especially just kept gaining more weight. And my faith in food got me to 367 pounds. So something wasn't right. Something wasn't working. And I like what was said earlier that um, you know, the food was actually killing me. It wasn't working for me anymore. And that's what brought me to my knees. And that's where a lot of my faith and compassion comes in. When I see a newcomer or somebody in program already who's struggling, you know, I give out uh, compassion to them to let them know, like, this is not going to work overnight. You know, this is definitely a, a, a whole new way of living. I did, um, by a miracle of God, got a sponsor and put the uh, food down. But then everything else had to come about, and I had to start working the program. Um, because of me letting go, the food is just another diet. That's all that it is. And when I learned that how to start building this spiritual foundation, that's where everything started to change for me. Um, it took a long time for me to start believing in a power greater than myself because if there is that power out there, I needed to know where he was because there was a lot of things that happened to me um, that I thought that God would be there to take care of that problem. And so I thought he didn't care about me. But thankfully, through this big book and through reading it, taking it sentence by sentence, line by line, and looking at what it truly means and that we do have our own self-will, and people's self-will was, you know, put on me. I put my self-will on other people. That isn't God. God does not create havoc. God is not a punisher. God is not a hater. God is truly full of love, grace, and mercy, but he does not get in the way of when I wanted to pick up that food and put the hand to the mouth. God did not put his hand on my hand and stop that because I wanted what I wanted and I got what I wanted, but it isn't what I needed. And then that's where God came in, where I need and I want God's love, grace, and mercy through my whole entire body to have that entire um, psychic change. Because if I continue to think the way that I do, nothing changes. Um, and that's it. And thank you. Thank Bye. you, Terry. <clears throat> Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Barbara? Okay, go ahead, Barbara. Thank you. This is Barbara, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. I love this passage because that other 
kind of flight is very significant in my recovery experience because when I first came to OA, in her God-guided wisdom, my first sponsor gave me an AA pamphlet. And in it, it talked about a flight into reality. And I feel that the reason she gave it to me was because she saw that my pattern of flight was escaping from what I thought was reality. It was always escape. It was never into something real. It was always into fantasy. That's where I went. And that's what the food promised me, an escape from reality. I couldn't deal with it. Let me go to the food. Let me go to the movies. Let me do something other than live in the real world. And with a self-centered world and these broken wings and a load of food, how could I do any kind of flight? So it took that slow, gradual, evolutionary walk through the steps to develop wings that aren't so broken that I can actually fly into this new kind of reality, which is God-based, God-centered, mindful of others, serving a whole other way, and bearing through the pain, uh, not escaping from it, but living in reality. Uh, That's a lesson every day that I feel that God is leading me um, to understand in a deeper way. So I'm very glad to to look at this in the big book today. Thanks, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara. And this is Kathy, uh, a recovered compulsive overeater. I'd like to take a turn here. Um, In listening to everyone share, I'm very aware that for me it's been a a very gradual process of practicing the steps and acting as if and then witnessing um, my own um, actions being changed and my own reactions being changed as a result of taking the time to surrender, to pray, to meditate, um, to do daily 10 steps. And all that were suggested in this book, all these steps are what has enabled me um, to uh, come to believe. And it's been a really, really slow process for me. Um, I think most recently I've been aware that even though I have some significant challenges in front of me, um, they are not um, causing me to go to the food anymore as they did years ago. But instead, my first immediate reaction when I feel overwhelmed um, or fearful is to go to my higher power and to uh, surrender whatever it is that's disturbing me and to ask for guidance. And it's just, it is truly a miracle for me that this has come about. I always thought I was one of those uh, who was constitutionally incapable of getting this program. Um, And today I know, and I try to share with fellow travelers that all we need to do is practice what's outlined in these pages and we will be um, led to a relationship with a higher power that's very personal to us Um, and I'm very grateful for that and I pass. Is there anyone else who'd like to share on this 
paragraph. Okay, Michelle H., would you read the next paragraph, please? Yes, thanks, Kathy. Good morning. Thanks for your service. Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. Actually, we were fooling ourselves, for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other it is there. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I started um, <clears throat> looking at the top of this paragraph, and it says, we were fooling ourselves. And I, you know, it's like, how was I fooling myself? Well, I was, I was fooling myself because, you know, hinged on the paragraph above that um, – even though I had seen the spiritual release, even though I've seen the spiritual liberation in other recovered people, um, I, I would tell myself it, it just wasn't true. How could it be? Uh, I, can't, I can't see it. Um, I can see the liberation. I can see that they're telling me they've had a change in their life. I identified in with them because of their stories. But I would just, I would just smile. I was skeptical, like someone said. And I would just say, oh, this, this really can't be true. And, you know, that freedom, that, that release, that liberation, um, they, they were telling me about it, that they were free from the bondage and the slavery to food. And I, I just thought it couldn't happen without some reasonable, intelligent, visible, proven evidence. That's what I was looking for. You know, I'm from the show me state, so um, show me how. I want to see it before I try it. Um, based on the fact that I had so much doubt based on my experience that you know, I didn't realize I was relying on reason all that time. I was relying on myself all that time to find a solution and find an answer. And so um, that that was my experience, and I was I was looking for someone to show me. And, you know, I've, I've come to believe that what it says on these pages, that deep down in every one of us, deep down inside of myself, is that idea of God and that there are these miraculous demonstrations and I saw and I heard and I witnessed, and they told me about each recovered person's miraculous demonstration. But for somehow in the beginning, um, for me, this agnostic um, who did not have knowledge that a higher power of God could release me of my compulsive overeating, um, somehow that, that just wasn't enough for me. And, you know, that's what, that's what faith is. It's acceptance of something which... There is no evidence of which there is no knowledge, which can't be reasoned out. That's what faith is. And so I was being told that, you know, Michelle, you have it deep down inside you, too, on these pages. It's telling me that. And, and that's what we relied on. That's what we depended on for this miraculous demonstration. And so how do I tap into that inner resource? How do I tap into that? Um, well, by these steps, by, by taking that leap of faith in step two. And, and coming to believe slowly um, by following these directions that are outlined here, that, that that's going to remove, how, you know, it's been obscured. It's been obscured by the calamity, by the pomp, by the worship of other things. I've had these obstacles inside of me and, and then outside of me that I've looked upon that have blocked me from having this personal relationship. It's been there, but it's been blocked. And how does it get unblocked? How can I have this personal relationship with God and how did I come to have that personal relationship with God that I have today 
by taking first that leap of faith um, based on the evidence of these miraculous demonstrations and just following and doing what recovered people told me to do that were outlined in these steps. And then gradually, slowly, I came to believe, gradually, slowly, by working these steps, the the worship of other things, um, you know, left where it was removed and the obsession was removed. And I today have a relationship with a higher power that dwells deep inside of me, which is that personal personal relationship, a personal God that I've come to know. Um, but first I had to have faith and accept the acceptance without the evidence, without the knowledge, without be able, being able to reason it out. With that, with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Michelle. And who would like to share? We have time for one or two shares on this paragraph. Hi, this is Leia. Okay, I heard Leia, but I heard someone before Leia. Who was that? Katie S. in Pittsburgh. Okay, so we'll have Katie and then Leia. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to um, say a couple of things that I had reflected on while reading this paragraph. Um, So... For um, a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in our lives are facts as old as man himself. And part of what helped me bridge this um, antagonistic feeling towards God was a recognition that throughout life, throughout human existence, um, we have been trying to explain and figure out what this spiritual realm is in the it, just these miracles that happen that um, happen on a daily basis when we're open to seeing them then we're trying to figure out what is this so what, what is this um, you know energy what is this um, God you know every uh Every culture has tried to explain the spiritual realm, so that's just helped me bridge that I can let go of my own um, feelings about it. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Katie. And go ahead, Leah. Thanks, Kathy Kay, for your service. Good morning, everybody. I'm Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Actually, we were fooling ourselves for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other, it is there. And, um, you know, that word obscured means hidden, blocked, uh, concealed, and... um, you know, what the big book is stating here is that, um, you know, whatever God means to each and every one of us, God is deep down within us, but we've obscured it, we've hidden it, we've blocked it, we've put up barriers uh, between God and ourselves, and that is the essence of what the 12 steps do for us. The steps remove that block, remove the things that block us from the higher power deep down within us. And as soon as that block is removed, we have contact with that higher power. That's exactly what these steps um, are all about, specifically steps four through nine. That inventory is a search for God. 
And as soon as we have contact with that higher power, we become sane. And becoming sane means that we no longer want to return to the foods and eating behaviors that create uncomfortable cravings. So (laughs) that is the whole point here of the steps, is to remove those blocks that create a barrier, that obscure uh, God from us. Uh, He's hidden, but he's deep down within each and every one of us. So whether we believe in God or don't believe in God, if we're not sane when it comes to food, it's clear we have blocked off our route to sanity. And the only solution that we know of is to get rid of those blocks, and that's possible through the 12 steps. And how do we know that? We know that because of miraculous demonstrations. The fellowship is an opportunity to see or hear miraculous demonstrations of that power in our lives. Because recovered voices stand up and say, or come to this phone line and say, we've been restored to sanity. We have soundness of mind. We've been relieved of the obsession to use. We're freed from the beast. We no longer have that voice whispering in, my, in our ear to take that first bite. And this is not glorification of self. This is not uh, about personal success. This is about getting out of our own way through the uh, alignment and application of these steps so that God can come in and be that master hand, that higher power, and put us back together the way he intended us to be. So this miraculous demonstration is those of us that come forward and say, yes, we have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, not by our own hands, but by the Master's hands. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Okay. Um, It is now time to close the meeting. I want to thank everyone who has shared and listened here today. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164 and follow that by the serenity prayer. I'm wondering, uh, Kimmy D., are you still here to read a vision for you, or Bic is meant to be suggestive only? Uh, I'm not sure if Kimmy's here. What about Penny C.? Are you here, Penny? Katie, I can do that. It's Sally. Okay. I'm here for you, Kathy. Who's that? It's Leah. I'll, I can read that for okay. you. Okay. Thanks, Leah. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.